Tonight I'd like to share with you some reflections on one of the sections of the Satipatthana Sutta, namely the first foundation of mindfulness, the mindfulness of the body. And in that section, uh, the Buddha poses this question to the bhikkhus, to the practitioners. He says, and how practitioners does a practitioner abide contemplating the body as a body? And then, as he often does, he answers his own question. And he gives these different ways of contemplating the body as a, uh, uh, the body as a body, whether it be mindfulness of breathing or being aware while standing and walking. And then there's another interesting section. So he's going through these sections, and then he says, again, referring to, here's another way of uh, abiding, contemplating the body. As though a practitioner were to see a corpse thrown aside in a charnel ground. Right, so he's saying, so, okay, so here's another way to contemplate the body as a body, to imagine, to imagine that, that here you are, the practitioner, seeing a corpse thrown aside in a charnel ground, right, in a place where there's all these, these dead bodies are, uh, uh, lying around. And then he describes that charnel ground. Bones bleached white, the color of shells. Bones heaped up. Bones more than a year old, rotted and crumbled to dust. A practitioner compares the same body with it thus. Ah, this body too is of the same nature. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. In this way, a practitioner abides contemplating the body as a body. So here we have this practice, this practice of reflecting on the inevitability of our deaths. And to see that it's it's a part of this practice around satipatthana, around these four foundations of mindfulness. Or I think in, a, in this context, a better way of uh, translating satipatthana, there's another way of translating it, upatthana, the, the, the second word that comprises satipatthana, uh, can also refer to to establish, so that these are four ways to establish mindfulness. So how does contemplating that you're going to die establish mindfulness? And even when I begin to talk about it, you might notice it gives a different sense of of how it feels to be present, how it feels to be mindful. If I'm allowing that to impact this heart, if I'm being mindful in this context that I'm going to die, And I want to point out, this, this is not to make us stop or collapse in our practice, but rather kind of allow this practice to, uh, allow it to galvanize our practice in an easeful way. So this is what I'd like to share reflections with you about, this reflecting, reflecting on our, the inevitability of our deaths. And not only that, a bit later, 
to share with you some reflections on that we've been born, which is another significant reflection that you find in, in, uh, in Buddhism. And after that, it's really to set up, we're going to do some, just some brief, brief guided meditations after that to, to, to sense into these two realms. Practically, I want to point out, this talk is just to, to help establish our mindfulness more through this one gateway that we're given. So again, you don't have to do these reflections that I'll be talking about you know, all day, every day. If you want to take a little bit of time every day to reflect on these things, I think it can be really helpful for cultivating mindfulness. Just as that's why I, I think you find in the five daily reflections, that is one of the reflections, the reflection on death. And maybe way, a way of getting a sense of it is like we're, we're tonight just going to take a little bit of this medicine that leads to our healing and awakening and just to allow it to reverberate in there. Just to let it establish mindfulness in the way that it will. This is our, our situation, our predicament. Alice Walker puts these uh, such interesting words to this in her poem, Lying Quietly. She says, lying quietly, bones aching, I feel I must be falling through them. That standing upright was an idea an interlude, an illusion. That we are, as always, on our way to dust. That that standing upright thing, it's just an idea. It's just an interlude to this whole process. We are, as always, on our way to dust. This is how we're situated. This, this way that we're situated, that our death is certain, and the time of our death is uncertain. And here we find ourselves, in the midst of practice, with this fact can we allow that in fully? So easy to forget. To feel the ephemerality of our lives. The great Polish poet speaks to this ephemerality. You know, the great Polish poet, Czesław uh, Miłosz, He says, the partition separating life from death is so tenuous. The unbelievable fragility of our organism suggests a vision on a screen. A kind of mist condenses itself into a human shape, lasts a moment, and scatters. 
oh, we, we are always on our way to dust. Uh, this body too is of the same nature. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. So how does this reflection establish mindfulness? How does it give us a different sense of what it means to be mindful? I think one thing, at least for me, is that with this reflect- reflection on death, death it, puts, it put things in context for me, and this practice in context for me. For example, someone asked the Dalai Lama once, what surprises surprises him most? That's what he he answered. He said, what surprises me most are human beings because they sacrifice their health in order to make money and then they sacrifice money to recuperate their health. And then they are so anxious about the future that they don't enjoy the present. The result being they don't live in the present or the future. They live as if they're never going to die and then they die never having really lived. crazy how we live our lives, huh? It's like we're desperately running around in circles in this crazy way. And you could say, what's underneath that, just in what the Dalai Lama is saying, is this not knowing how to be here. Knowing I'm going to die, that I'm always on my way to dust, it clarifies, oh, that that desperate way of running around in circles, oh, that's not a wise way to live. It's not a wise way to die. When I feel that, it brings me to here, to now, to this. And for me, I just love those three words because they bring me to the practice so immediately. Here, now, this. Maybe you two have used these words. I find them to be the perfect reminder. So how do you aspire to be in this world? Continuing to desperately run around in those circles? Or just here? Now? This? I remember when a certain piece of this got clarified for me. For me, it's like there's all these different facets of this, of really allowing it to to sink into your practice. 
and into your being. A little backstory here. This happened um, when my, I got to explain kind of the, the backstory here. So when my partner and I got married, a big theme of our wedding was, um, uh, that was kind of spoken about is this notion that here we're getting married and it's going to end. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a great wedding. <laughs> you know, it's going to either end either in death or estrangement. That's the situation. I'm sorry to get kind of romantic here with this romantic story. <laughs> it was so great to have that as the theme, like, oh, this is what we're entering. This is, this is the predicament that we're in. This is, this is, what, this is what relationship is about, is, is holding that. That we're making a commitment in the face of this. Death or estrangement. And of course, we were young and in love, and and so afterwards, we were totally excited about this. And each of us were, were we were engaging in this daily reflection on, I'm gonna die, or you're gonna die. What is gonna end? <laughs> Death or estrangement? <laughs> All right, this too, this body too is of the same nature. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. We are, as always, on our way to dust. And you can imagine, you know, as I was doing this, it was interesting what it stirred, you know, because at that time, again, I was teaching a lot and also on doing a lot of retreats on my own as well, doing retreats or teaching retreats. So we were had time away, and I remember what it stirred was, wow, if I'm going to die, I, I desperately want to be with her. Oh, that's, that's what this is about. And I could feel that stirring of desperation. That's what it stirred. It's like, oh, interesting. This is not stirring here, now, this. And I mention this also because you know a reflection on death can stir all kinds of things. Not only that, but sometimes the stir it can stir other experiences of loss, or it can stir, stir feelings of other kinds of wanting, you know, or loneliness. It can stir fear. It can stir a longing. Can stir a deep desperation to merely wanting to be on a beach in Mexico. And sometimes, when on retreat, what I can notice is it can stir the desperations we have brought to this practice. And maybe you've touched upon those desperations. Some of them, on the surface, are wholesome. The desperation to overcome self-hatred, the desperation to overcome shame or anxiety. Maybe we get hooked by something, the desperation to get a strong taste of samadhi or the desperation for awakening. And how our minds can pervert things in those desperations, the desperation to finally be that special person 
that everybody loves or looks up to or admires or thinks is wise. But it's the same process, it's still desperately running in circles in this crazy way that the Dalai Lama was talking about. It's more complicated because it is around wholesome aspirations. So maybe you can relate to this. You can get caught desperately running in circles like my mind was doing around this reflection on death. And then there was the turn in that reflection. Wow, oh, oh, I don't have this relationship right now. Oh, all I have is just here, now, and this. I don't want to die waiting for some imagined moment in the future. What about here, now, this? And it actually clarified what it is to be in relationship. I learned to be in relationship at first, that it was about desperation. Oh, to be in relationship is to to, to actually be in relationship, not in, to be in desperation. <laughs> it's a different way of relating to another human being. So that there's quality time, not desperation time. This is how we want to refine this establishing mindfulness this feeling of being present. Yeah, that might be, there might be the bumps that you need to go through, the desperations, the desperately running in circles in this crazy way. But this is directed in a different way. Just, just to be here. Now. This. Because it's really all you got. All the other things are just desperate fantasies. This is it. So often with the reflection on death, we can feel like, oh, I'm going to die eventually. Maybe in a couple of years maybe 10 years, decades. But I think the Buddha is talking about we might die in the next few minutes or the next hour. But often it doesn't hit us that way, but it happens. I'm sure all of us know people who have died so suddenly. It always seems to happen sooner rather than later, don't you think? Death can happen so quickly. Our deaths. We can forget this. I remember this summer, a a dear friend of mine walking with her family, tripped, fell in the water. In three to five minutes, she was dead. Oh, death 
Death is so close. Not for the people out there right here. Oh, this body too is of the same nature. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. We are, as always, on our way to dust. All you have is here, now, this. So it's beginning to allow this reflection not to merely steer your desperations. Maybe that's an important part of the practice. I want to affirm that. We have to to be with whatever arises but to allow it to also stir your aspirations. Yes, the aspiration for awakening. The aspiration to overcome self-hatred and shame. What's the difference? When I stir my aspirations, it directs me, it directs me to here, now, in this. And it can be great to make that into a practice. A few nights ago, a guy was sharing with us, I think he's shared it now twice in his, his talks, this um, monastic uh, Ajahn Liam, Longpur Liam, who had this description of you know, the heart's release and before that description, the, the part the guy did not read, which was, uh, there was a very interesting thing that happened in his practice. One night he was just like, you know, I'm going to practice just to practice. Just for the sake of practice, that's how I'm going to practice. Oh, and then the practice unfolded. Yes, have your aspirations, but hold them in this context just to practice for the sake of practice, just for the sake of here, now, this. That's all we truly have is here, now, this. Reminds me of this Zen story. It's, again, one of these confusing Zen stories. It's probably a Zen story that's been commented on probably close to a thousand years. It's a very simple story about the Zen master Yun Men. He's said to have a, a silver tongue. To, so concisely he could put the, the essence of this practice. And one day he, he made this simple statement. Every day is a good day. What did he mean by that in this context? When I can truly allow into my heart to practice just to practice, then every day is a good day when I'm practicing. It doesn't matter what happens. It can feel so good just to get to practice the Dhamma. Your mind's lost in thought all day. You have the aches and pains. 
But ah, to practice, ah, to actually be here, now, this. Can you feel that in your practice, that you're actually wrapped in this blanket of the Dhamma? And when you can really feel it, it doesn't matter what happens. What matters is just to practice. I mean, that's the biggest gift of long retreat is to get a feeling for that. To unhook these demands that you have on your practice. Your poor little practice, all these demands on it. <laughs> Be like long poor Liam. Just to practice, just to practice. And I feel like we can embody this beautiful image that the, the haiku poet Isa gives to us. I love these haikus. They're so simple. They, they, they capture so much. He says, On a branch floating down river, a cricket singing. On a branch floating down river, a cricket Singing. Can you learn to sing? Can you allow the heart to let go of all that reactivity? It's the situation that we're in on a branch floating downriver. We are, as always, on our way to dust. So another facet of this reflection on dying has to do with, I think, being on retreat and being on retreat with others. Maybe another facet of it. And what... I'm going to share with you to explain this facet is I get another poem by the poet Ellen Bass and the title of the poem is If You Knew. What if you knew you'd be the last to touch someone? If you were taking tickets, for example, at the theater, tearing them, giving back the ragged stubs, you might take care to touch that palm Brush your fingertips along the lifeline's crease. When a man pulls his wheeled suitcase too slowly through the airport, when the car in front of me doesn't signal, when the clerk at the pharmacy won't say thank you, I don't remember they're going to die. A friend told me she'd been with her aunt and they just had lunch and the waiter, a young gay man with plum black eyes, joked as he served the coffee, kissed her aunt's powdered cheek when they left. Then they walked half a block and her aunt dropped dead on the sidewalk. How close does a dragon's spume have to come? How wide does the crack in heaven have to split? 
What would people look like if we could see them as they are? Soaked in honey, stung and swollen. Reckless, pinned against time. Can you remember this about all the people around you on this retreat? If you could see them as they are. Soaked in honey, stung and swollen. Reckless, pinned against time. Oh, that's what it's like here, now, this, around other people that are, as always, on their way to dust. So this reflection, this reflection on dying, this body too is of the same nature. It will be like that, is not exempt from that fate. And now this reflection on birth. The reflection on being born is also so important, so crucial for this practice. And again, I feel like it puts things in context. I remember getting a sense of this. I had um, seen a visual representation of a timeline of the Earth's 4.5 billion history. 4.5 billion year history. It's such an immense amount of time. It's so hard to imagine what that means that the Earth's been around for 4.5 billion years. And one way to get a sense of it is to squish that whole history of the Earth into one calendar year. And it gives a different sense of, I think, for me, what it means to be born. So if we were to squish it, in one calendar year, on February 25th, life appears. In the history of the Earth, over one year. And then July 17th, multicellular life appears. And then it's not till early November that the first plants on land appear. November 18th. The first fish appear. And then on December 12th, 
There's actually a number of these, but this is quite a large mass extinction happens on December 12th. 95% of the species disappear. But then, December 13th or 14th, the first mammals appear. December 28th, the first primates appear. And then at December 31st at 11.36 p.m., (laughs) human beings appear. (laughs) Isn't that a trip? It's like, wow. Brian Swim puts it so well. He says, four and a half billion years ago, the earth was a flaming molten ball of rock And now it can sing opera. It's amazing. Ah, this precious human birth. And the Buddha speaks to this. He gives this image of this. He says, imagine if the, the earth was an entire, entirely covered with water like an entire ocean. And someone were to toss a yoke, just a single ring, like a wooden ring, just a small ring, into that vast ocean. And in that vast ocean, there is a, um, a turtle who only comes up for air once every 100 years. And he says, it would be more likely for the turtle to come up once every hundred years for its head to go through that small yoke, the probability of that happening is more probable than a precious human birth getting to be born as a human being. So rare that we've been born. It clarifies this time we have right now to practice. So rare, just here, now, this. This is a precious opportunity that you have. We're in another place. I still can't find this reference, but I think it's still, I still want to attribute it to the Buddha. (laughs) Since there's... Four extremely rare things in the world. The one I just mentioned to you, this precious human birth. And even more rare than that, being exposed to the Dhamma, to be exposed to these teachings. And what's even more rare than that? Especially these days with all the kind of, you know, meditation magazines out there and things like that. What's more even rare than that is to practice the Dhamma. And then more rare than that, to fully awaken. You got three out of four. We're looking for the fourth. (laughs) We're aspiration, not desperation. (laughs) What a precious opportunity. And I think there's other things that 
that can be revealed to us on this reflection on birth. And uh, I want to share with you just these reflections I get from two writers, one, uh, uh, the great political theorist and philosopher of the 20th century, um, Hannah Arendt, and then uh, uh, another woman who teaches philosophy, Anna O'Byrne, um, who wrote a book called Natality Infinitude. And I want to share with you just a, a couple of reflections that I gleaned from them. And it also points to another, I think, important reason to reflect on birth. Is I want to point out that, that I'm sharing with you reflections that come from women. And there's, there's um, the acknowledgement, you know, in, in Buddhism, it is true there is a reflection on birth, but a lot of times it's not given the weight that the reflection on death is given. And this is even more so in the world of other spiritual traditions, and especially philosophy, where death is held up so highly and birth can be forgotten. And the conjecture is, is why is this? Because men don't give birth to babies. Right? And so much of the, the voices that we hear are male voices. I think it's so important for all of us to be exposed to what, what the, the, the wise feminine perspective or the wise women perspective gives to us for a spiritual practice. So Hannah Arendt actually wrote quite a bit about this, uh, what's called natality, the fact that you've been born. And the reflection, one of the things it reveals is is how being born and growing up comes out of a web of human relationships. Birth happens in relation to another being. We are here because of others. And when I feel that, I feel so much gratitude. I'm here because of others in terms of my birth and also in terms of my birth into this practice. This is how being born happens, whether it be poetically or literally. And she goes to say that that the fact that we've been born is a testament to the possibility of new beginnings. That when I touch into reflecting that I've been born, I touch into my potential for new beginnings for transformation. And also reflecting on birth can reveal, this comes from Anna Byrne, which I appreciate, that in some ways we are historical beings. And this world that we've been born into is not of our own making, which has been so helpful for me. Oh, this condition that I've been born into is not of my own making. Yet, I have the responsibility of navigating it. Being born, the the gratitude that can come from really allowing that into our hearts. The precious opportunity there is right now to practice, 
here, now, this. You've obtained a precious human birth and have obtained such a precious, precious time to practice on retreat here. And arisen in this world at this historical time, thrown into it. Not chosen, but still your responsibility to navigate it. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to be taking you through a guided meditation in just a couple minutes here. And what I'll have you do is, is, is have, turn your attention inward and just kind of taking in the words, allowing the words to resonate. And if you need to stand up and move a little bit or change the, move the posture a little bit, really feel free to do that. You know, just doing whatever you need. Please don't be shy to do that if, if uh, that's going to help you be a little bit more present during the guided Okay, and then uh, allowing the attention to come inward, so finding a, a suitable posture to be in. Maybe beginning with something simple, just feeling the body sitting, whatever allows you to arrive inward again. And as I say these words, just allowing them to wash over you, allowing them to move the heart however they move the heart. Earth. Ah, I have been born. A precious human birth, an opportunity to live a life. Rare indeed is human birth. And to be exposed to a spiritual path, even more rare. And even more rare than that, to have the opportunity to fully devote my time to this path while on retreat. And being born reminds me, I am here because of others. 
I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for others. I have gotten to this point in life as a result of being in relation with others. I have been born a precious human birth, a beautiful new beginning. It instills in me this potential for a new beginning. I have been born I have been thrown into a world that is not my own making. And situated within various histories that were not my own choosing. Thrown into the history of my family, of my society. It is not my own making, but it is mine to navigate. Death. Everything is lost in death. My death is certain, but the time of my death is uncertain. My death is indeed certain. Every living being who came before me has died. I am not an exception to this. This body too is of the same nature. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. It is the inevitable consequence of being born. It is intertwined with birth. The moment of my death, though, is uncertain. Every moment I move closer to death, like the sun during the day, draws closer to sunset. Where I die is uncertain. At home, in a hospital, in a car, maybe alone, or maybe together.
How I die is uncertain. It might be long and drawn out, or maybe I might die suddenly. It might be a painful death or an easeful death, maybe through an accident or cancer or stroke or a heart attack. Knowing that my death is certain and the time of death uncertain, how do I touch this moment right now? Knowing that my death is certain and the time of my death uncertain, how do I make the most of this retreat? So may these reflections lead to the liberation of all beings. Thank you. Let's just sit for another few moments here. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.